back to another episode of Search, Ponder, and Pray, a podcast where we strive to follow the Come Follow Me outline provided by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and grow closer to the Savior and try to apply the doctrine in the scriptures to our, to our daily lives. Yeah, we've been having a wonderful week so far. Um, it's, been a, it's been a great time. We've been enjoying our summer. Um, I hope everything's going well with you. Uh, so we're going to start this week in Matthew 27, and as I was looking over the, le- the the chapters a little bit, I was noticing, I was like, oh, there's four chapters. So we took Monday off, but if we get Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, that's four, and that's perfect. And then I had to remind myself, we don't really get through a chapter in a day, so um, <laughs> it might not work out as nicely as that. Um, but let's go ahead and start off with a word of prayer, and then we will jump right into the scriptures. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank Thee so very much for this day. We thank Thee for Thy love. We thank Thee for Thy patience. We thank Thee for the many blessings that Thou hast given unto us. We thank Thee for our families and friends that surround us with love. and We ask that you please help us to be a, a positive force in the lives of those around us. Help us to bring the gospel to others that they might find joy therein. Bless us in our efforts, Father. Help us to see the path that thou wouldst have us take. And please forgive us of our sins. Help us to draw nearer to Thee as we study Thy Word now. And we say these things ever so humbly, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so we are in Matthew chapter 27 today, if you want to follow along. And then we will, we will of course, be using the New Testament Student Manual provided by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which can be found in the Institute section um, on your Gospel Library app. All right, so let's get started. Chapter 27. When the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw what he had con- that, he had con- that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. This is one thing I've always thought was interesting. I wonder if... I don't know what was going on with Judas at this time, but when he says that he, when he saw that he was condemned, I almost wonder if there was a part of Judas that thought that Christ would be let go, or or I don't know if he came to himself in that moment and kind of woke up from this, um, this sinful stupor that he was in. I don't know if that's ever happened to you before where, you know, you're being tempted to do something, and you're kind of having that temptation upon you. And then once you've committed it or done it or whatever it was, you almost almost like wake up and are like, what did I do? I don't know if that's the same thing here. I'm not sure. But I just find it interesting. An interesting little side note. Verse 4. So yeah, he brought the 30, 30 pieces of silver to the chief priest. Verse 4, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. 
And they said, What is that to us? See thou to it, to that. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple, and departed, and went and hanged himself. And the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, It is not lawful for, for to put them into the treasury, because it is the price of blood. And they took counsel, and bought with them the potter's field, to bury strangers in. Wherefore the field was called the field of blood unto this day. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the price of him that was valued, whom they, had, whom they of the children of Israel did value, and gave them for the potter's field, as the, Lord's, as the Lord appointed me. All right, let's jump over to the New Testament student manual. It talks a little about the death of Judas Iscariot. Matthew is obviously affected by the suicide of Judas, a fellow apostle, but he knew it was also a fulfillment of prophecy. Elder Bruce R. McConkie of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles wrote the following regarding the death of Judas Iscariot as the fulfillment of prophecy. However desirable the thirty pieces of silver seemed before, he, before the deed, their ill-gotten weight became a crushing burden on the soul now. In his frenzy, Judas discards them so as to fulfill in literal detail the, rema the remainder of Zechariah's messa messianic utterance about them. And the Lord said unto me, Cast it unto the potter, a goodly price that I was prized at of them. And I took the thirty pieces of silver and cast them to the potter in, in the house of the Lord. The Old, the old Testament, so that's the end of that, uh, of Elder McConkie's quotation. Um, the Old Testament quotation Matthew cited may be combined with the words of Zechariah eleven twelve through 13 and words from the prophet Jeremiah. Even though Matthew cited Jeremiah as the writer, early Christian writers knew the Old Testament prophecies so well that sometimes they combined the information from various sources. All right, so now we jump to verse 11. And Jesus stood before the governor, and the, and the governor asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus said unto him, Thou sayest. In the New Testament manual again, uh, Pontius Pilate was a very unpopular Roman prefect over Judea from A.D. 26 to 36. Shortly after assuming office, he arranged many of the Jews, he angered many of the Jews, sorry, by marching troops into Jerusalem, bearing standards with a representation of the Roman emperor on them. The Jews viewed these standards as idolatry. He later appropriated temple treasures to build an aqueduct, which led to a public riot. Pilate also ordered the slaughter of certain Galileans, which the, when, the when the chief priests took Jesus to Pilate, they apparently had, charged, had changed their charges against him from blasphemy, a religious charge that the Romans did not consider a crime, to sedition a political charge recognized by the Romans. Verse 12, And when he was accused of the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then said Pilate unto him, Hearest, not, hearest thou not how many things they have witnessed against thee? Verse 14, And he answered, them never, and he answered him never a word, insomuch the governor marveled greatly. Now at that feast, so, a little side note here, um, the governor marveled greatly. I would imagine that over the years, as Pilate has been the governor, and he's had these cases brought to him, if the person was accused of a crime, which would end up in their execution, he was probably marveling, because I would imagine that as these criminals, or as these, the accused, I should say, are brought to Pilate, 
um, if they are accused of a crime unto death, they are probably pretty loose-lipped, unwilling to talk about things, and willing to try and explain what was going on and try and give their, their version of the story. And so now here's someone who's being brought to him, who the case seems shady enough, and, he, and this man won't say anything, or says very little, and stands there stoically, waiting for the coming execution. I imagine the power of that alone, beyond the, the spiritual power that Christ marshaled, was probably enough to give Pilate pause. Verse 15. Now at that feast the governor was wont to release unto the prisoner, the people a prisoner, on whom they would. And, and they then, sorry, struggling this morning. Verse 16. And they had then a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they were all gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you? Barabbas? or Jesus, which is called Christ. For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. All right, so let's jump over to the New Testament manual. Barabbas or Jesus. The name Barabbas ironically means son of the father. The crowd, most of whom were stirred up by the chief priests and elders, called for the release of Barabbas while rejecting the true son of the father. In one sense, we are all like Barabbas. We are all the sinful sons set free set free because the true son of the father was condemned, condemned to death. According to the Greek text of Matthew 27-26, Barabbas's first name was Jesus. Jesus Barabbas was a thief, murderer, and traitor, while Jesus the Christ was perfect. Those who condemned the Savior to death were presented with a clear choice, and they chose evil. The law of Moses provided a foreshadowing of Barabbas' release centuries before it happened. The law of Moses taught that once a year, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest selected two goats. One goat became the scapegoat and was released alive into the wilderness, while the other was for the Lord and was killed as an offering for the sins of the people. The high priest then took blood from the slain goat into the Holy of Holies of the tabernacle. He sprinkled it on the lid of the Ark of the Covenant, called the Mercy Seat, symbolically making atonement for the sins of Israel. Gerald N. Lund, who later became a member of the Seventy, explained how the events of the Day of Atonement foreshadowed the Savior's offering of his blood. Christ, as the Lamb of Jehovah, as well as High Priest, shed his own blood to enter the heavenly, the heavenly Holy of Holies, where that blood ransomed for their sins, those who would believe in him and obey his commandments. <clears throat> Verse 19. When he was set down in the judgment seat, his wife, Pilate's wife, sent unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with, with that just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy him. The governor answered and said unto them, Whether of the twain will ye that I release unto you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called the Christ? They all say unto him, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, Why? What evil hath he done? But they cried out the more, saying, 
let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could not that, that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. So right here we see that Pilate Pilate is fairly aware that Jesus is innocent in this moment, and he he tried to give him every opportunity, as we as we just read in the new t- in the student manual. Um, <clears throat> he even tried to make it completely clear as to who should be released and who should you know by bringing out one of the worst criminals he had in the dungeon to bring him forth and say, okay, who do you want me to release? These are your two options today. This year, this is who we're going to, you have options to release. You can either release this terrible uh, murderer, this thief, this, this vile person, or you can release this man who, uh, you know, said a few things you didn't like. And the people were so offended and so outraged that they screamed for the death of the Christ. And Pilate was blown away by this. Now, as governor, he had the right, he had the power, he had the ability to say, no, I'm not doing this. I am not doing this. We're releasing, we're releasing him. He, I, there's no issue. He says right here, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. If we click on just person, we find, in, it takes us over to, to the, the same story in John, and we find that what, what Pilate tells them, is he, say, he saith unto them, I find in him no fault at all. Pilate is fully aware that Christ is innocent. And yet he sees, as it says, he sees the tumult. That he could not, he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made. He feared the people. Rather than fearing what might happen because he's going to have one innocent person be killed. And that puts uh, him in a very interesting position. Did he believe in the Jewish religion? Obviously not. Did he believe in another religion? I don't know. But he washed his hands. And in the New Testament student manual it says, Pilate recognized that Jesus was innocent of the accusations made against him. Even his wife had warned him of Jesus Christ's innocence. One provision of the Mosaic Law stated that if a person was found to have been killed, the elders of the city could wash their hands to signify that they were not responsible. They were also examples in Greek and Roman literature of washing oneself as a symbolic gesture of absolving oneself of responsibility for shedding another's blood. Thus, when Pilate washed his hands, he may have been claiming innocence in a way the Jewish leaders would have understood. Washing his hands, however, did not allow Pilate to evade responsibility. Elder Jeffrey R. Holland of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles noted that Pilate's freshly washed hands 
could not have been more stained or more unclean. And that comes from the uh, April 2009 uh, General Conference talk called None Were With Him. Uh, so now we jump to this next verse. And then we'll jump back to the student manual. Then answered the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. That's a pretty heavy, heavy burden to take upon yourself. Something that I don't know. It happens sometimes in fantasy books where people will, will make swear oaths that are going to not affect not only them, but also their children and their posterity. And I always think, why? Why would you do that? How can, there are very few things in my life that I am so sure of that I would be willing to risk my posterity and risk my children's salvation on. You know, I, <laughs> the gospel is pretty much, the gospel and, and God and Jesus Christ are pretty much the only things that I'd be willing, willing to do that because nothing else is sure. Nothing else is, is, is sure. So it's such a, a prideful thing in my mind to risk that risk other people's and and your own salvation, your own eternal soul on these things. But it seems to be something that people take part in. So in the New Testament, Sudan Manual says, over the past 2,000 years, people have sometimes used the statement, his blood be on us and on our children, to blame all the Jews of Jesus' time, or even Jews of later generations, for the death of Jesus Christ. Such accusations ignore scriptural accounts stating that a great many Jews of Jesus' time believed in him and that his crucifixion was brought about by Roman authorities in cooperation with a relatively small group of Jewish leaders. Any anti-Semitism based on Matthew 27-25 also ignores scriptural testimony that the Lord loves the people of Israel and has a plan for their salvation. Mormon, the Nephite prophet, prophet historian, wrote, Yea, and ye need no longer hiss, nor spurn, nor make game of the Jews, nor any of the remnant of the house of Israel. For behold, the Lord remembereth his covenant unto them, excuse me, and he will do unto them according to that which he hath sworn. I find it interesting as it says that there were so many who believed in Christ and yet this small minority of people were able to sway so much. This is another example of when people say, well, you know, the masses, the majority can't be wrong. Democracy is the way to go. Pure democracy is just mob rule. And yes, in this case, sure, the majority may have if they were set forward and the majority had time to sit and to think about it and whatnot, it may have been had a chance. But this small minority swayed so many people and pulled so many people that it swiftly went downhill. Downhill in a terrible, terrible way. 
whatever your belief may be, even at the very basis point, you could say, at the very least, an innocent man was killed. In its true form, the Son of God the Father, the spotless Lamb, the perfect Son, was murdered and killed. There's obviously a lot more here, and we'll get to it as we continue on throughout the week. But I testify, I testify that there's so much here to learn about the sacrifice made for each of us by the Savior. Not only that, but there's also much to learn here about the people of that time what was going on, and how it applies to us. I testify that as we continue to push forward and we study the atonement, the atonement and the, the sacrifice that the Savior made for us, and his, continue, and his life before, during, and after this time period, we will come to know him better. And as we do so, we will have a greater, greater confidence in our lives. I testify that this is true. I look forward to sharing our study time together throughout this week. I pray that you will continue to study on your own and that God will bless you for your efforts. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.